This is Saving Grace, Living in the Light of God's Love, a broadcast ministry of Grace Center for Spiritual Development and Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world, committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. And now, our program. Well, hello and welcome. I'm Carmen Pate, your host for this program. You know, if we were to do a man-on-the-street interview and ask the question, how do you think you get to heaven when you die? More often than not, the answer would revolve around works. Well, if my good works outweigh my bad, or, well, if I am good until I die, and so on. But where does this false reasoning originate? Would you be surprised to learn that much of the confusion arises from teaching regarding the Millennial Kingdom? That's right. Your view of the Millennial Kingdom is a gospel issue. And today, we want to explain how that affects you. And here to help us better understand this thousand-year reign, its purpose and the judgments involved, is Dr. Dave Anderson, founder and president of Grace School of Theology. Dr. Anderson is a graduate of Rice University, received a master's in theology from Dallas Theological Seminary, and earned a Ph.D. in Greek New Testament and early Christian literature from Dallas Seminary. He has authored numerous books, including Triumph Through Trials, Portraits of Righteousness, Maximum Joy, Saving the Saved, and Relationship and Fellowship, among others. Welcome back to Saving Grace, Dr. Anderson. So glad to be here, Carmen. Good to see you again. Well, I'm excited to talk about this very important topic, which I do know that there's a lot of confusion out there. Uh, So let's just dig right in. But before we get into the varying views of the millennial kingdom, let's first talk about God's purpose behind the millennial, Uh, because you say that it is God's answer for the purpose of mankind. Well, that's huge. So explain that to our listeners. Well, uh, If we truly believe that Lucifer was the most gifted, beautiful, intelligent of the angels and challenged God's right to rule the universe, then that's a huge question that's been raised. Who has the right to rule the universe? Mm -hmm. But right along with that, uh, and we'll see as we go further, that God's love language is obedience to Mm -hmm. his commands. Mm And that also was uh, raised uh, when Lucifer rebelled. That is, the question, is God worthy of being loved? Mm-hmm. Now, in order to answer that question, he makes a being, a physical being. Up to that point, all existing beings, meaning God and the angels, were spiritual beings. Yes, yes. So he made a being a little lower than the angels, mm-hmm. according to Psalm 8, which is quoted in Hebrews 2. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And lower in what sense? Well, uh, this physical being is dependent on so much oxygen in the atmosphere. Right. It is dependent on gravity, dependent on regular helpings of food yes. to create energy. Uh, and it's not as intelligent as the angels. One more thing, though. They have not had the privilege of living in the third heaven, which the angels Mm -hmm. had. Mm -hmm. And so God says, I'm going to make this creature more limited than you, give him less revelation of myself than you had, Yeah. and I still think he's going to choose me over you. Wow. Now, in order to do that, he creates man, and in Genesis 1, he tells man to take dominion over planet Mm -hmm. Earth. That's the mandate. Be fruitful and multiply, take dominion over planet Earth. 
Now, another word for dominion is kingdom. Yes. Kingdom. Now, we know that Adam failed mm-hmm. uh, when he sinned, and he did not take dominion over planet Earth. He's put out of the garden, but he's still charged to go take dominion over planet Earth. Still is He fails again. Mm-hmm. Things get really bad when uh, sexual perversion and violence get to a certain point and joining hands, and the cup of iniquity, so to speak, is full, God judges. And so he did that with the flood. After mm-hmm. the flood, he says, I'm not going to do it that way again. But it takes Noah and says, take dominion over planet Earth. He still wants him to spread out. God's plan hadn't changed. No. Right. Keep in mind, to spread out right. over the earth. To take dominion, you, uh, they didn't have the technology to sit in the Garden of Eden and, and control the earth. Yeah. They have to spread out. Well, they didn't spread out. Instead, they started making larger and larger cities. Mm-hmm. And then the Tower of Babel. Yes, yes. The Tower of Babel was essentially astrology. So God comes in and he judges that. He says, I'll scatter you. You're not going to scatter on your own. I'll scatter you mm-hmm. through the languages. But he finally says, okay... I've tried and tried and tried here. It looks like I can't find someone who's going to fulfill this mandate. So I'm going to bring in a second Adam. I'll bring another Adam to do what the first Adam was supposed to do. Mm. Of course, we know that is Jesus. Yes. But in order to fulfill what the first Adam was supposed to do, the second Adam has to take dominion Mm. over Mm. planet Planet Earth. Earth. That's the millennium. That's the millennial kingdom. So if you rip the millennium out and you become what we call ah-millennial, meaning mm-hmm. there is no millennium, yes, uh, no actual physical millennium on earth, then you have taken uh, the very thing that God was trying to do away, and you leave those two questions open. To, uh, open. Who has the right to rule the universe? Is God worthy of being loved? Both those questions are answered in the millennial kingdom. Wow. So the very wow. purpose, or what we call the meta-narrative for mankind, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that which explains the human race, actually, mm-hmm. is wrapped up in the millennium. Wow. Well, now, how does the millennial answer those two questions? Well, because when Christ uh, sits down on that throne, okay. he's going to allow those who have been faithful in following him through the centuries to reign with him over planet Earth. So that's how we will spread out, as Adam's offspring was supposed to do, and mm-hmm. we will then be reigning. There will also be perfect justice, and uh, unlike uh, the corrupt systems that we see of, of mm-hmm. many forms of government today, there's corruption. Mm, yes, but, yes, uh, yes. But not during that period of time. Mm-hmm. And it tells us in the New Covenant, which is uh, ultimate fulfillment is in the millennium, the mm-hmm. New Covenant, that in that day there will be no uh, need to teach people about Jesus as Lord. They will all know They'll him know. as Lord, yeah. which means they will be obedient. Mm. Uh, lordship will be there and yes. uh, people will su- uh, submit to it and that's his love language mm-hmm. uh, John fourteen twenty one. he who has my commandments and keeps them he it is who so loves, loves me, me. Yeah. it doesn't say he who has my commandments is the one who loves me mm-hmm. if you own a bible you have his commandments yes, yes. he who can- has my commandments and keeps them and keeps them and it goes on and says the father will love you and I will manifest myself to you mm. it's it's a it's just a wonderful tie-in between obedience and uh, love. It is. It's a it's a beautiful story, <laughs> yeah. but it also, like you say, it does answer those two questions very well. Right. Absolutely. Who's who has the right to rule, and is he worthy of love? Mm. Well, you know, we teach from God's word here at Grace that salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone. 
and there's a abundance of scripture that would back up that truth. But many churches include works as the means to obtain salvation or to uh, to remain saved, if you will. So help us to understand how their view of the millennial kingdom causes that confusion. Well, I think it's a very subtle thing that the enemy uses to worm his way into our minds as to what's required to go to heaven. And the way he does that is by taking the millennium out. Now, mm-hmm. if you have the millennium in there, uh, the uh, four passages that talk about judgments, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, Romans 14, and Revelation 20. Mm-hmm. Now, all four of those judgment seat passages only deal with works. Faith is never mentioned. Yes. Lack of faith is never mentioned. And so, if you take the millennium away, all those judgments occur at the same time. Mm. What we call the great white throne out of Revelation 20, Mm -hmm. the judgment seat of Christ out of Romans 14, and then we have that, of course, in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 3. Those fuse together into one final judgment. Now, here's the kicker. Yeah. Because all those passages only mention works. Mm -hmm. Mm. (laughs) In the reader's mind or the hearer's mind, it's impossible Mm -hmm. to take works out of the judgment seat picture. Yes. Because that's all it mentions. Because that's all it mentions. Wow. Now. That's right. When you have the millennium in there, those judgment seats are split. Mm -hmm. The first three passages I mentioned, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, Romans 14, deal only with believers in Christ. And they show up at that judgment seat. Different discussions on that, but we think before the tribulation begins. Mm-hmm. Because the elders have white robes, which Revelation 7 says means they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Right. But they're also seated and have the Stephanoi on their heads. That was the victor crown. Oh, okay. And the diadem is the royal crown. Mm-hmm. They weren't mm-hmm. wearing those. They were wearing the victor's crown. The victor's crown. Which tell us they probably had already been through the judgment seat of Christ. Mm-hmm. But the great white throne, Revelation 20, is very clear after the tribulation period is over. After the tribulation period is over. But also after the millennium is over. And so in Revelation 20, you have the thousand years mentioned six times there. Mm-hmm. And then in verse 10, it talks about the great white throne. Mm-hmm. That's where all unbelievers, since Adam on, mm-hmm. show up. And they show up there. Why? Because their lack of faith. That's yes. why I said unbelievers show up there. And at that point, they're judged for their works. For their works. So at the uh, judgment seat of Christ, you only get there by faith. But once you're there, you're judged for your works to see how much of your life, since you became a Christian, is going to glorify God and count for eternity. Mm-hmm. Okay? So uh, it's almost like the sheep and goats judgment. Think yes. of that one. Mm-hmm. And if you read that passage in Matthew mm-hmm. 25, it's all about works. Yes. A cup yes. of water in my name, you know. Right. Clothe me, visit me in prison. Mm-hmm. It's all faith is never mentioned. Yes. Why? Because the judgment has already taken place about faith. How does a sheep become a sheep? By yeah. faith. How does a goat become a goat? Lack of faith. Lack of faith. Yes. And then they're judged for their works. Yes. It's exactly the same thing. So works, when we read that, just works, faith isn't mentioned in those passages. So what, what we're saying then is 
that in the judgment seat of Christ, they also are judged for works, but not for the purpose of salvation. Is right. that correct? Right. So they're, they're judged on their works for the purpose of reward, loss of reward. Right. And also maybe maybe their assignment uh, in in the millennial kingdom. Or, right, uh-huh, right. Okay. But if you take that millennium out, yeah. you see that there's no time gap between right. the judgments. It's all one final judgment. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's impossible to get works out of there. Yeah. And that's why so many modern uh, teachers that are very popular have thrown mm-hmm. works back in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Piper, for example, mm-hmm. talks about mm-hmm. two justifications. Mm-hmm. One, when you first put your faith in Christ... But the final justification is by your works. And that determines if you get in heaven or not. Mm, so wow. that's very popular today. and uh, Very disheartening, though, for any person, because we would never know if we were going to get into heaven or not. It'd be pretty hard to have assurance until you die and yes. go to that final judgment. Yeah. Yes. And so the unbelievers who are standing at the white, white, uh, great white throne judgment... You mentioned they, they are indeed being judged on their works uh, because they did not have faith in Jesus Christ. Well, they show up there because they didn't have faith. Yeah. And they're also judged for what they did in their life. So it's yes. gonna, it is going to be worse. I'm going to assume Hitler wasn't a believer. Mm-hmm. It's going to be worse for Hitler than the little old lady from Pasadena who never trusted Christ. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. wasn't a mass murderer. Yeah. So they also yeah. have their reward in the lake of fire, or however you want to view separation from God Mm. for eternity. Yes. Uh, Degrees of separation. Much of that we haven't seen revealed in Scripture. Right. But they're showing up to be judged for their works for some reason. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So, believers in the first judgment... Uh, for rewards, the unbelievers in the great white throne judgment, Mm -hmm. uh, and it really will justify God's decision of -hmm. of sending them where they chose to go, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, uh, uh, I think Acts 1 says when you start witnessing, start where you live. mm -hmm. So I decided to go to my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty, we're in the Bible Belt Mm -hmm. here in Houston, Texas. Mm Mm-hmm. About 8 out of 10 in my neighborhood said they go to church. <clears throat> so then I would ask them, well, what does your church teach about how to go to heaven? Mm-hmm. Of those 8 out of 10, 8 out of 10 of those said, well, uh, I believe in Jesus, and I think I've lived a pretty good life. So their answer 8 out of 10 times, if they go to church, was faith plus Plus, yes. Where do they get that? Mm. Mm. Where do they get that? So Ephesians two says not of works, right? Unless man and man should both fall uh, through. Tells the Romans you yeah. can't be justified by works, right? So it's got to come from those judgment seats where you judge for your works, and the fact that uh, they've collapsed the judgment seats into one final judgment. Mm. So that, that's why this teaching on the millennium is not just peripheral. Yes. It's central. Yes, yes. Oh, and I do pray that it, our, each and every listener will grasp this today. Um, it just has so much impact on the way we live and our hope for eternity. Um, so much. Well, Revelation 20 talks about Satan being bound for a thousand years and the saints reigning with Christ for a thousand years. Are we 
to take that thousand years literally because there's also the passage of where Peter says a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day mm-hmm. but you're are you saying this is a literal thousand year mm-hmm. uh, okay it, uh, I believe a thousand is mentioned six times in that passage mm-hmm. and it was not literal be the only example in all of scripture mm-hmm. <clears throat> where numbers have been repeated and it's not literal okay okay Furthermore, as you go back in Revelation, other mm-hmm. numbers are literal. The 42 months, for example. Well, that comes out of Daniel 9. Yes. And it's the last half of the tribulation period. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look at Daniel 9, that was taken very literally. Yes, sir. The 490 years was literal. 483 years were fulfilled to the day on Palm Sunday. Mm. One period of seven years is left. 360 days Jewish calendar per year. Mm-hmm. No, that's all very literal. Yes, yes. So to so, all of a sudden go symbolic from literal, literal, literal to symbolic all. is not consistent exegesis. Okay, so. okay. So those who leave out the millennium, is that the way they're looking at it? That, oh, it's just symbolic and it's, you know. Well, that's what Augustine <clears throat> did. Okay. He was turned off by the majority party in northern Africa, the Donatists. Hmm. The Donatists took Daniel 9 very literally. Mm-hmm. They were studying the 77s, mm-hmm. and they were trying to figure out when Christ would return. Well, they held to what we call the day-age theory, which meant there's seven periods of a thousand years, and the last period, the seventh period, is the millennium, mm-hmm. literally on earth, the millennium. They thought they were living that Christ died 5,500 years after Adam came into existence. Mm. So that meant... There was 500 years left before the seventh period of 1,000 years started. Okay. They're living around 400 A.D. That means there's only 100 years left before Christ returns. So they were getting excited, and they were having uh, celebrations. When someone was martyred uh, among their midst, they'd cover his body with plaster Paris for two weeks to, so as to better recognize him in the, in the resurrection. And then during those two weeks, they would have uh, feasts and celebrations to kind of preempt or give a picture of what it was going to be like when Christ returned and the celebration. Well, uh, Augustine couldn't stand that Mm -hmm. because he thought you got to heaven through uh, denial of the flesh or what we call asceticism Mm -hmm. plus deep, deep, deep meditation. Mm. Well, so he eschewed the Donatists. And in order to do that, he had to get rid of their number system. So okay. he took what are called the rules of Tychonius, a leading Donatist uh, in that time, and uh, he turned the numbers of Revelation to elasticity. Mm. Do whatever you want with it. Mm. So that's how he, got, how he got rid of the thousand years. Mm. Help us to understand what you mean, what we mean by reigning with Christ. What uh, Will every saint reign or will only certain believers reign? What is that? What do you feel, think that that is, is really telling us to reign with Christ? Well, not everyone will yeah. because he talks about in Second Timothy uh, if we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. Mm-hmm. And so uh, reigning is a, a reward. Okay. It's a privilege uh, that goes to the faithful. Now, what does it mean to reign? I don't have the faintest idea. Uh, I hope it's not administrating over ten cities. <laughs> I, I have trouble administrating over my own home. Uh, I'm with you on that. I don't that. have the gift of administration. Uh, so 
Lord, give me something else to do. <laughs> That's right. Oh, goodness. Well, that, and I, I think that is, you know, sometimes we do, that does cross our mind. It's like, oh, my goodness, I don't want to, I don't want to rule that 10 cities. Well, though, it, I, it's, uh, it is a, perhaps a figure of speech. You know, the monarchy today doesn't carry a lot of weight in our culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We don't have uh, a monarch here in America. Right. Even over in Britain, they're thinking of getting rid of it. Yeah. So the thought of being a king or queen doesn't uh, have the same appeal it had back in that day and time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they grew up, uh, at least over in the Middle East, uh, with uh, king priests over most cities. Mm-hmm. The king himself was actually viewed as God by some of those cultures. Wow. But if not God, he was God's representative to mm-hmm. mankind. So the highest privilege a human being could have in that culture mm. was to be a king. Mm. Right? So then uh, if you got to reign with that king, well, yeah. it don't get no better than that. Oh, exactly. Right? So well, I can see why yeah. you use that. Yeah. But it's still part of the taking dominion. Uh-huh. So there's got to be some aspect of reigning that's a little very literal. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so many of our questions about heaven, New Jerusalem. Yeah. Lake of Fire, all these things, just haven't been revealed. But he's revealed enough for us to have a victorious and abundant Christian life. No doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Help us to understand the special privilege of uh, upon Israel in the Millennial Kingdom, what that really means for, for the nation Israel. Well, when uh, God made his covenant with Abraham, he said this is an everlasting covenant. So he has this covenant between himself and Israel that lasts forever. So that's a very special relationship Mm -hmm. that he has with Israel. Mm -hmm. Now, Jesus uh, told Peter when Peter said, Look, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What are we going to get out of it? He says to you, it will be granted to uh, sit on the 12 thrones, reigning over the 12 tribes of Israel, Mm -hmm. when I come back in what was called there in Matthew, the regeneration. But we know that's talking about the millennial kingdom. The millennium, okay. So uh, the tribes exist. Uh, Twelve thrones are there. Mm. Uh, We assume that Judas is out and Matthias is in. So you have these 12 apostles reigning Mm -hmm. over the 12 tribes. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a a relationship that Mm -hmm. is eternal. And so it is a fulfillment of the covenant that God made that would last forever. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Because there are some who would say, well, that's past because they failed, the, the, the people of Israel failed, and so now the church has replaced them. Uh, you hear that in, in some circles. Well, in the yeah. recent book I, I finished, I go at great length to show that the Abrahamic covenant is uh, gives a, an eternal relationship with God mm-hmm. and Israel. Mm-hmm. But the Mosaic covenant, is about fellowship with God and Israel. Mm-hmm. So I define fellowship as enjoying the relationship. Yes. So if she keeps the law, things go well for her in the land. She prospers. Mm-hmm. Many children. She's blessed. If she doesn't keep the law, God puts her out of the land. Yeah. As he did and as mm-hmm. he's done. Mm-hmm. And when she's out of the land, she's not enjoying her relationship. She has an internal relationship like a father-child or mother-child. That's eternal. But enjoying that relationship is fellowship. Yes. And the Mosaic Covenant was given for that fellowship. So it really is a very good picture of the relationship versus fellowship issue, uh, even for believers. Our relationship is secure forever, but our fellowship 
comes and goes as depending upon our obedience and love for the Lord, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. You've taught us all well. <laughs> um, uh, there, there are promises of the uh, to the overcomer that are mentioned in Revelations two and three. What does it mean to be an overcomer, uh, and what are the blessings that an overcomer might receive? Well, the blessing is tied to the problem that's overcome. Mm. Now, in some uh, approaches to theology, they say every believer is an overcomer, and they go to First John five, where it talks about being an overcomer. But in that passage, what you're overcoming is the world through your faith. Mm-hmm. Now, over in Revelation, the overcomer is promised based on overcoming the problem in that particular church. Mm-hmm. But it's really fascinating as you look at those passages, there seems to be a progression going on from the first overcomer's reward yes. to the last one. Because in the last one, you're actually sitting on the throne with Jesus. Mm. Well, the one right before that, you're a pillar in his temple. Mm. So they're getting closer and closer. But early on, you get a picture of the intimacy that comes to the overcomer. When he says, I'll give you a white stone that only I and you will know the term of endearment on that stone. Mm. So he gives you a special term of endearment. Yes. Like uh, my wife calls me Kermie. She thinks I'm a frog. (laughs) And that's why I have to call her Miss Piggy. Yes. But that's uh, just between us. Uh, right? Okay, yeah we, yeah. Won't, we won't put that on the air, right? Never, never. <laughs> uh, but there'll be something like that between yeah. the overcomer and God. Mm. And so one of the rewards uh, that comes as uh, someone who's obedient, and one, I think, of the real great motivations is that I do think our intimacy with God forever is roughly proportionate uh, to our intimacy we find with him on earth. Mm. And yes. Yes. so there's great motivation, I think, to get closer and closer mm-hmm. to God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so, so in just a, a closing statement, uh, how can we live now to ensure that close intimacy with the Lord for eternity? Well, a couple of things. Uh, you know, we're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But nevertheless, it's God who works in you, both the desire and the dynamic to do his good pleasure. So there's sort of this divine sovereignty and human responsibility going on here. Uh, In 1 John 1, we're taught to walk in the light as he is in the light, and the blood of Jesus Christ will keep on cleansing us from all sin. Right. And it talks about if you're in the light, then your joy is going to be full. Mm, Yes, yes. So that's a full life right there. However... uh, you get to Second Corinthians three eighteen, it talks about being transformed in the mm-hmm. image of Christ, mm-hmm. but it's by the Holy Spirit. Yes. Our responsibility there is simply to behold the Lord. Mm. As we behold the Lord, the Holy Spirit's doing His work to make us more like Christ, and the more like Christ we become, the closer we are to Him. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. That's Unfortunately, right. <laughs> a lot of that sculpting work hurts. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, there. There are things that need to be excised, you might say, yeah. from our life or chipped yes. away. And uh, I've observed more often than, well, at least a lot, mm-hmm. that some of the deepest cuts come toward the end of your life. Oh, I agree. Totally. And, uh, the way I try to look at that, though, mm-hmm. <clears throat> is that God's putting his finishing touches on his mm. magnum opus. 
Mm, now, most that. people aren't aware that Leonardo da Vinci worked 15 years on the Mona Lisa. Mm-hmm. It was actually painted on wood, mm. and he carried it around with him. He worked on it, worked on it, worked on it, worked on it, worked on it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of view God as doing that with us. Oh, and but, it takes but, that lifetime to yeah, make it happen. Yeah. Some of the final touches yeah. are, are are painful. Mm, I agree, and we need God's strength to get through those those mm-hmm. difficult times. Well, thank you, Dr. Anderson. This has been very insightful. I know this is a topic that we're going to want to visit again, so we'll have you back on and and, uh, explore this more. But we also want to thank our listeners. We hope today's topic has stirred your interest to grow in your knowledge and your love for our Lord. We encourage you to check out the many courses that are offered through Grace School of Theology and Grace Center for Spiritual Development. You can learn more on our website at gsot.edu. That's gsot.edu. Be sure to tell others about saving grace. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You've been listening to Saving Grace. For more information about Grace Center for Spiritual Development or this program, visit our website at gsot.edu slash center or download the Grace app through your smartphone. Views expressed on this program may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.